Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite Sized Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outsight, where I coach agency owners to build the agency of their dreams. I'm here with my longtime friend and previous rival, Mike Graham from Second Melody, <laughs> a branding agency in New Jersey. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Steve. I, I like that. Thank you for that introduction, actually. I didn't yeah, know that's, all there is, that, that's all there is. That's all there is to your introduction. Yeah, I was thinking leading up to our first schedule and then today, when I first discovered Second Melody, and it was when I was very young in my agency uh-huh. and still very competitively driven, and I and I we didn't know each other yet. I didn't know Nick or the guys at E6, and maybe I was in my second or third year. And I came across your website, and it was you might even remember this iteration. It was um, what was the guy's name? Ming Min Min, yeah, Min was like popping out of a, a TV or something like a project you guys had done for Panasonic. And we were also working oh, yeah. with Panasonic. And I'm like, who are these kids in yeah. Morristown? And I just thought you were a bunch of punk kids. Come to yeah. find out you were, but so talented, so smart and, and, and did amazing work and come to be a hell of a guy too. So, um, yeah. So one of the things that I think is pretty awesome, um, you know, you and I have over the years, uh, I've gotten a lot out of our relationship, the way you've supported, but you know, how you've helped other agency owners, mm-hmm. friends you've got, you know, not, you're not super competitively driven. Um, so kind of give me the backstory on, you know, second melody, um, how, how you kind of run things there and what your approach to running an agency is. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, thanks for the compliments. I, you know, I, when I tell the story about you and how I know you, I mean, I, I kind of describe it as us all coming up together, you know, we were, yeah. Not only not only geographically in the same area, but I mean, really in the stages together about going through it and figuring yeah. out what was working and what wasn't working. And I remember some of those like earlier, like think tank, you know, sessions we got together where it, it was really just a bitch session. In the end of the day, it's like, <laughs> you know, this is what payroll is, and this is what this is. So you know, I I can't I got as much value out of that as, as you probably did. But um, but yeah, it's funny. You know, odd place to start, but it's funny you mentioned the competitive nature. Uh, and, and where I was also in that, in that, uh, you know, kind of realm, because I think from a competition side is something over the years, which I think you're kind of alluding to, too, is that you kind of shed, you know, as an agency yeah. owner, because you, you get to a point where you start to realize it has nothing to do with any of the people around you. Because I think in 17 years that we've been in business, we've competed for one project with somebody I knew. And that was almost planned in that, like, we knew we were both going after it and it became a joke and, you know, and things like that. And so, so like that has been such a weight off my shoulders to get past that point in my life, because I remember being on, you know, you mentioned looking at my website, that was me. Like I would, I would see a website for anybody like in the city, like agencies that were so far out of my, like, you know, stratosphere of who we would possibly compete against and being like, Oh, these guys, these guys, what are they doing? Like, why, why are they saying, you know? um, yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, really refreshing to hear, but I think um, from a, from a history standpoint, um, second melody, we're a branding agency. Um, we have a headquarters in Chester, New Jersey, but obviously after the last couple of years, 
we've gone fully remote and have more of a collaboration spot. Uh, we are a branding agency. We specialize in storytelling, both visual and verbal, uh, and how that comes together and then rolling that out consistently for all our clients. We're cross industry, um, which has been awesome um, because a million and a half people told me over the years to niche my business and you know, yep. we did it in a way that's a that's another conversation. Um, but but also we like to keep things interesting and fresh. And for us, it's really like we got into this mode of figuring out how we can make things for our clients that are 100% ownable by them. Mm -hmm. You know, accurate first off, you know, first and foremost, but like ownable, like meaning that they can grab whatever we create for them, mainly because it was built off of what they told us and say like, no one else can say this. And I feel like this represents me and I can roll this out and stand behind this completely, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, team of 20 uh, across a whole bunch of different mediums and uh, mm -hmm. having a great time. That's amazing. So no niche, you fought it for years. I'm sure your coach, you work with a business coach. I'm sure he's been like, come on, niche yeah. this, niche it. And, and you just like, no, we're good. But you could easily say, all right, we've got a niche in higher ed. We've got a niche in medical device or pharma. Like you, you play in some spaces, yep. consumer tech, things like that. Or do you not even look at that and you're like, we just want good clients that are doing good business that, that we can answer the challenge for. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you and I have had this conversation more than once and probably recently as well. You know, our, the, the epiphany kind of came from me and you're hundred percent right. Coach was like niche. It's going to be easier for you from a sales standpoint. It's going to be easier yeah. for you from a process standpoint, all this stuff. But what we started to discover together. And then also, you know, as I kind of branched out on my own is that niching doesn't necessarily mean industry, you know um, it means your offerings, your capabilities, yes. you know, how you speak about yourself, um, it, it, your deliverables, you know? Yeah. Um, so when we started to look at like, yeah, okay, if I was to niche in higher ed or, you know, pharma and biotech is huge, huge for us. Right. But I was like, okay, you know, we don't do all of pharma biotech, but for the most part, our deliverables for pharma biotech are always these type of things. You know, we're doing verbal and visual identities and we're doing, you know, websites or whatever, whatever it may be. So then it was like, okay, well, I'm going to find the clients that absolutely need the service offering that I've narrowed it down to, you know? Mm -hmm. And we went through, I mean, for years, um, 17 years in business, I'd probably say year 10, I was still in this mode mm -hmm. where we were trying to be everything to everybody. Or, or I, I shouldn't say that. It was more about taking every opportunity that came across the table, you know? Yeah. And looking at it saying like, oh, this could be good for us. We could figure yeah. this out. We could, you know? And then finally realizing like, not only is that the worst way to operate because you're sitting there running yourself ragged, trying to figure out things and starting fresh every single time you get a project, but more importantly, you're not having the conversations you should be having with your prospects in yeah. that you're, you're not saying to them clearly, this is what I, I offer. And if you don't need this, then we can't work together. You know, right. you're saying to them, well, tell me what you need and I'll figure it out and I'll figure it out. And it puts you in a, it, I mean, it's just a bad way to start a relationship. And then it just, put you in the worst possible position because you're, like I mentioned, you're running around trying to figure things out for the rest of your life. So um, it was a roundabout way of saying from the niching standpoint, um, niching, is that, a, is that a thing? Yeah, we coined it here. Boom, niching. <laughs> Brandon, TM. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, from, from a creating a niche standpoint, it was more about me just being comfortable saying, this is what I have to offer you. Yeah. And if, if this doesn't gel, that's great. I have some great referrals to give you. And we still take things from a ton of different agencies. I haven't said no to an, or sorry, a ton of different industries. I haven't said no to an industry in a while. 
but it's more about does the client really, really need what we're offering more than anything else? Yeah, because if, if they don't need it and you're able to sell it into them and they're like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it, and then the results are not going to be, they're, they're not going to see the true value in what you could do because it's Absolutely. not going to be as illuminating. Um, and I fully agree that you could niche in industries, you know, vertical markets, things like that, or not or and in the service that you provide. Yep. You know, uh, we just do explainer videos for B2B, blah, 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 exactly. SaaS companies or whatever. Yep. Um, so, so, yeah, I love that. Um, but, you know, building a, a biz dev machine mm. without knowing where to point that machine is so challenging. Um, but I mean, you're kind of fortunate in that 17 years, you haven't done a ton of marketing. You fight networking tooth and nail. You don't you don't want you don't want to go eat you know past foods and you'll have a beer with somebody. Right. So the yeah. biz dev machine for you is referral, word of mouth, partnerships more than anything. Right. Uh. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, you talked to me two or three years ago, even that that recent and I would would have played it cool on the networking thing and been like, oh, <laughs> I don't do that kind of stuff. Um, but honestly, looking back on it, it was more about not being comfortable, you know, like it's it's you know, I, I know some people say like some people are comfortable, some people are not. I mean, that's not my thing. I didn't come up as a sales guy. I came up yeah. as a designer, you know, much like you do. Um, and those, those things can be learned. And, you know, right now I pride myself on being great at sales and business development conversations, but still that arena doesn't suit me. Like I don't do well in cold introductions, things like that. And yeah. so because of that, we had to work, you know, extra hard. I feel like on making sure that we were putting out a product that not only was a good product, obviously, but it was, um, it was recognizable, you know, mm -hmm. like. You know, for, for a while we got by on, you know, the second melody's creative is never in question, you know, where someone would come to us and say, I saw what you did for so-and-so and I was blown away. And that's the best possible conversation you can yeah. have with a prospect ever, you know. Um, but then when we started going after larger type clients, it got to the it got to the point where we needed to be also creative about what, you know, painting the picture of what we could deliver for them, you know. Okay. And that's kind of how I approach business development is that we don't give away the keys to the kingdom, but we're all about painting a picture for our clients. And at the base level saying like, yes, we're going to deliver a visual identity for you, but here's what that's going to feel like. And here's what that's going to result in. And here's what you're going to be able to do with that after. And, you know, and tying it back to the, what they, you know, um, so, so that's when I get a lead. But then on the other side of the thing, I have no problem telling you that like proactive business development has been on my to-do list for <laughs> 15 out of the 15 years, years yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and we never had a sales team, you know? Yep. Um, Fred, who's one of our account managers now, who's a dynamite sales uh, person. And he's just, I mean, he's just got that knack. Like he can walk in a room, yep. anybody cold. And, you know, he's got a kind of a hybrid role and we're still hundred percent not like don't have yeah. a plan, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been interesting for sure, but you know, the challenges obviously um, forced us to create some uh, interesting solutions along the way. And that's been good for us. Yeah. So you guys, so you, you can, you mentioned you came up as a designer. Yeah. How much design work do you do now? What's your active day-to-day -day role in the agency? Uh, zero design work. Um, okay you know, very, very rarely in a pinch only because I don't have somebody available. And maybe it's because it's something I need really quick for a sales yeah. meeting or something. 
I'll pull something together. Um, but the uh, Adobe suite is getting very rusty on my computer at this point. <laughs> Um, I, uh, gravitated, actually, I probably haven't been doing design probably for like, I don't know, 10 years almost at this point. Yeah. Um, and what I had switched over to is when, when we went all in on being a branding agency, because before that we were very much a hybrid, but like we pitched ourselves as more of a design agency when we were mm -hmm. doing branding, but like we didn't go all in on it we didn't have the full we, we did most of the visual identity stuff, but the verbal and the narratives and all that was not something we were like selling accurately. Like we were doing it, but like, right. you know, we're, um, so, so when that happened and when we started to develop that capability a little bit more, um, I was doing that. I switched over to strategy side. I always was a writer at heart, you know? So, you know, I, I jumped into that and was doing more of that brand strategy. And then I'd say probably about two or three years ago, um, is when I started to really build that team out. And now I don't even really do too much of that. Um, my day-to-day -day is business development. Um, mm -hmm. It is coming up with strategies for the business for us to, um, you know, get better at boring things like profitability and, yeah. uh, you know, um, making sure Q1 is better than Q2, um, all that type of stuff. Um, and then getting involved in the more high-profile clients, the larger jobs, mm -hmm. um, because, my team is fully capable and frankly, you've probably interviewed them and they say I'm annoying and get involved too much, but it's more for the love of it that I still get involved. And I also want to make sure that we're constantly improving our offering. So while my team is focused hundred percent on fulfilling the needs of the client in the moment, I'm looking at it from a perspective of, can this be better? Not because it failed, but right. can we be more efficient with this? But more importantly, can we make the deliverable even more powerful than we did on the last project? So um, that's, you know, it's quite an evolution and still something I'm getting used to, but I, I do yeah. love so you're, you're, you're biz dev, you're managing your kind of senior leadership team, mm -hmm. uh, focusing on numbers, focusing your, you own process, I guess, maybe yep. you empower that down to your team. Um, doing some high level account management, high level strategy stuff. Are you still running workshops like you used to, or is that your team doing that? Mostly team doing it. I'll participate, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I, I genuinely like, and not just because I think maybe a couple of them will be watching this, but like, I genuinely like working with the clients that we have. I would say a biggest win and a, a bigger milestone for Second Melody as a whole, and this has been for a while now, but one of the biggest milestones was we, I think, genuinely like, meaning like I would talk to and hang out with 99.9% .9 of our clients. Yeah. Because we, we've gotten to the point, knock on wood, that we can be a little picky and, and choosy and who we work with because we want that nice. mutual respect. So like these are people I'm genuinely interested in their businesses, genuinely interested in the product we can produce for them and, mm -hmm. you know, count them as friends by the end of the project or even midway through the project. So when I am involved, it's because I want to be and not because I feel like I need to. Yeah. Now, when you as the guy who's doing biz dev, a lot of times it falls, you know, close a deal, handshake, have dinner, whatever that might process might look like. And then you pass them off to your team. Do you get pushback from clients? Like, wait, you're not going to be the guy on my account. You're not going to be the guy that, you know, does doodles for my logo or, right. you know, who's, who's this person over here you're handing me off to? Yeah. Do you get so, that pushback? Yeah, I do actually. Um, I, this just happened recently with a, a client we just onboarded. Um, and it, it was a, it was a longer sales cycle for this specific project. It was, a, um, larger job, like on the larger side of the projects we do. And 
that was one of the last questions they asked me, I think, in our third meeting when we were, you know, just talking about numbers and getting it to where everybody was comfortable. And, you know, I, I laugh kind of now, but not to be rude to them, but I laugh because I am not joking when I say the people that work for me are so much more capable than I am <laughs> and yeah. so much more valuable to the project than I am, you know, and what I've gotten to see, which I absolutely love about my team because it's it's been on them and it's something that I haven't even had to push them to do is that they are so comfortable putting themselves out there that with that, when that did happen um, recently, uh, they asked me, hey, would it be okay if I talked to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so because they were on the pitch call, but we didn't get to hear that much from them. I was like, oh, absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't even prep them. I literally said, hey, here's their email addresses. You guys connect, you know, do whatever you need to do. They connected that afternoon and it basically sold the project. That's you great. Know? Yeah. So, so that does come up. Absolutely. And I think, I think every business owner, regardless of what level you're at, deals with that. I, I've been able to be a fly on the wall for some clients that were working with really large agencies, you know, the ones, mm-hmm. the ones you and I, you know, have had experience with, but like, you know, still like, it's a mystery, like yeah. how does this agency operate? And yep. at that level, it was still a problem. It was still a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There was a time years ago, right? So I remember when you had your team in Marstown yeah. and things had gotten really big, you had gotten overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you kind of hit the brakes you slashed everything, slashed everyone and, and kind of started back up from scratch. Yeah. And then just kind of curious what that, I don't know what that process was like or what happened at that point. Where were you? What's yeah. the lesson that you learned from that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's one I feel like I've told to exhaustively over the years, because I think that that point in my life, especially where I was personally and professionally was such a shock to the system. So so that was 2009 when everybody was struggling. That was the mm-hmm. you know huge recession we all went through. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is going into that, and obviously I didn't have anywhere near as much business savvy. It was I was about four years into us being a company, 2009, 2010, so four or five years. Um, and I I thought I understood everything, you know, like look look at me. We, <laughs> we have, and and I mean to be fair, we're, we're 20 people now. I think the agency was 10 people at that point, so half the size it is now. But for us, it was probably the biggest it would ever was. Um, and we had all these projects lined up. It wasn't a problem. Our pipeline looked solid, man. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was looking around going like, why is everybody worried? You know? Um, yeah. but the biggest problem we, and obviously won't say any names, but like we had two clients that were making up a large part of our revenue, both very large organizations and both decided that they were going to impose, um, stricter, uh, terms on payment. Yep. You know? Um, they said that all of a sudden now we had to show proof that the project was done before they would pay money towards a deliverable. You know, we were used to taking deposits on projects and getting milestone payments. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we have to show proof that this is done and this is done and this is done before we pay you. And by the way, when we pay you, it's going to be net 90. Yeah. You know, so, so we had all this money. And I think at one point for a small agency, we were owed about $300,000 and I was pulling cash from every single place I could find. And Mm -hmm. I literally, you know, I think that that point right then, you know, and so my wife, Angela, who has been with me literally since day one, I hit on her at a party the weekend after I quit my job to start Second Melody. So she has like, that's the prospect I was. 
hey, uh, I don't have a job, but uh, <laughs> I go out sometime. But I'm going to own a really successful agency. But, yeah, right. You want to go out um, with me? Yeah. Yeah. And so and so she was with me since day one. Um, that was the year I had bought a ring finally. And I was going to propose. And I had the date I was proposing. And that ended up coinciding with the day I had to lay off half the company. I was literally going to meet her. My parents came down from upstate, like literally go to meet her to propose to her. And I had waited too long, you know, so, so first lesson, right. Um, that this is pretty, every business owner probably already knows this, but for the people that don't, don't wait too long to diagnose a problem because you think you can fix it. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I sat there and said, Oh, we'll get through it. You know, um, I didn't miss a payroll. Um, and then I missed one, but then I made it up like two days after. And mm -hmm. I was very honest and open and which I still am to this day with my employees that like, this is what's going on. Everybody was in the same boat. Everybody knew what was going on, but I was holding out. We won't have to do this. We won't have to do this to the point when it was like, okay, I'm sorry. I told you about this two weeks ago, but I, unfortunately I cannot pay you. And the choice is, is that I think I'll be able to pay you and you can hang around hopefully because yeah. you love us. But I understand if you if you have to leave for some people and then other people, it was like not because of who they were, just because of the position. We didn't have the work coming in or whatever it was. And I still had to go do the proposal to my wife. But like I was like crawling to it and having nothing to wow. do with putting oh. on a ring, you know. Um, yeah. So sorry for the long drawn out story. But um, I think the, the lessons besides the diagnosing a problem is that also don't underestimate your team. And the dedication your team has to you, because besides the people that I had to let go of the five people, I think, which is, was half the staff of the five people I propositioned and said, Hey, listen, I would love if you could stay. I'm not sure what the future holds, but you know, this is what it looks like if we build back, um, for state. Yeah. And I think we went through maybe one, maybe two payroll cycles where I wasn't able to pay them but then was able to make it up the following month. And yeah. no joke, Steve, we had one of those old fashioned, like, um, you know, thermometers for people raising money out on the lawn. Like there, yeah. you map how much money to, to say like, when we build back to this, then we, we are back, you know, and not until that, you know, it was dedicated because we had empty offices. So it was like a whole wall. I remember. Wall. Yeah. So like, you know, it, it, I think that's the other thing is that like, you talk about culture and everything like that. Sometimes I felt like early on it was unintentional because I don't, I didn't do as much as I do now intentionally to promote culture within second melody. But, but I also probably underestimated the, I, I just underestimated the people that were around me besides them being the most talented people I've ever worked with. The level of dedication was something that I probably didn't even acknowledge as much as I probably should have. So, you know, it's one of those deals where I think as a business owner, you take a step back and you look at, who you work with and who works for you. And you should look a little bit deeper than how many hours they're logging every week and what, you know, skills they bring to the particular projects and really understand like the value they're bringing, you know, as, as people. Yeah. As human beings. Well, you've got people, I mean, Jay's been with you forever. You've got people that have tenure with you for like a decade plus and yeah. a, a really solid core team of people, eight, nine, 10, 12 years, whatever. And that speaks volumes. That to me is that you're, you're a solid leader, you've developed a culture and they've contributed to developing that culture where they enjoy working together. They enjoy the work that they get to do as a team. And so it, it goes a long way and you get people that are like, all right, we're going through a tough time. Well, the whole world is going through a tough time. Let's get yeah. through it together as opposed to, eh, see you later. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a, yeah, so, I mean, yeah go ahead. Sorry. 
I was going to say, and, and so long story short, she said yes. She said yes, yeah. Still still <laughs> here through the ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, I want to switch over to rapid fire real quick because time yeah. go, goes by super quick. So um, and, and first question, and I want to kind of switch it up a little for you. Um, it's typically like, so what's one of the craziest things that you, you, you did through COVID? And that could be personal or professional, but also what's one of the greatest lessons that you took away from it? Oh, the craziest thing I did during COVID, um, besides buy a dog like everyone else. Um, no, yeah. uh, craziest thing I did through COVID was decide to build the company instead of pulling back. Love it. Uh, everything down. was a risk. And, uh, you know, that was the, the route we decided to go instead of being scared. That's it. When to take a risk, man. Absolutely. And it's paying off dividends. Love it. Um, what's a, a book, an audio book or a podcast other than this one that you're really into right now? Um, I am terrible probably for this podcast because I don't read business books or podcasts because I, I don't. Um, one of the best podcasts I've, I've recently listened to was one called uh, What It Happened Was. It's Open Mike Eagle. He's a he's a rapper and he profiles for an entire season the life and career of someone in the hip hop industry. Oh, cool. Um, and I'm a big hip hop head. So uh, yeah. that has been fascinating to me. So real quick, jump back real. You, yeah. know, you, you, you bring up mixtapes. Yeah. You bring up hip hop. And I think mixtapes. Quick 30 second story on what's the second melody mixtape all about. Second melody mixtape was us uh, all being collectively interested in music as a whole and trying to figure out because we absolutely, absolutely hated with our soul writing blog posts. But we wanted something <laughs> to contribute monthly that would change on the website. Um, yeah. So uh, at first it started really elaborate. We were editing these things together, which was really fun, but then it didn't get realistic. So now we we opted for Spotify and everybody in the uh, in the organization takes a month and does a theme and we post it up. Ah, I love it. Uh, do you have a, a new latest hobby or obsession or something that you're into? New latest hobby. Um, I honestly, um, not new and not really a hobby, but I would say um, just from a business owner standpoint, getting myself to the point where I can spend the most time possible with my kids. Yeah. Um, COVID was a huge factor in that to show me possibly not what I was missing, but like at the same time, what I could have and has mm. driven me from a goal standpoint personally. So, so for me, any free time I have, which, and uh, unintentionally or intentionally, I dedicate towards doing stuff with them. Love it. That's so valuable. It goes by so quick. I can't believe how old your kids are now. Yeah. So, Mike, I am grateful for your time uh, running an agency, you know, participating with your family, kids. You got a lot juggling. So uh, thank you. I'm grateful for your time. And um, Second Melody, big fan. I was going to wear the shirt, but yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you, Steve. It's been, uh, it's been great to have you as a friend for all these years and appreciate what you're doing right now and uh, would recommend anybody use you for consulting across the board. Thanks, brother. All right. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too, so please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today. <laughs>